As we get started in 2019, it is so important for agents to be able to go prospecting with confidence. Where do they get that confidence? They get that confidence by knowing that when they walk into a business, they are able to present their services in a way that makes sense, in a way that's quick, in a way that's not going to take an hour, uh, in a way where they don't have to come back 15 times. That is our entire goal with InstantQuoteTool.com. Our goal was to make something so that agents in the field could walk in off the street or call over the phone and instantly give the merchant a savings quote that complies with the margin requirements, the pricing requirements, and have all of that at their fingertips. If you haven't checked it out yet, let me encourage you to go to InstantQuoteTool.com slash podcast and sign up for a free 30-day trial. Invite some of your agents, some of your top agents in. Let us do a demo for you so you can see how it works. And I promise you, you're going to see results in the field. And that's what we all want for 2019. Hey, everybody. I am here with Josh Smith. Josh is the CEO of GasPos, GasPos. Uh, how are you doing today, Josh? Oh, I'm doing very well. Good. So, Josh, I thought it'd be helpful for everybody to, to kind of start out the interview. Obviously, we're going to get into fuel stations and POS systems and cash discounting and all kinds of cool stuff. But I thought it'd be helpful to start out. Give us a little background. You know, how did you end up in the payment space and how did you end up dealing with fuel stations and all that? Give us a little bit of your story. Yeah, absolutely. Um, my family has been in technology for four generations and we've always had um, a love for fintech. Uh, going back to when transactions were processed on paper punch cards and ultimately, you know, moving on to reels and, and so forward. Um, about 2008, as uh, the market tanked, we watched the kind of the verticals we were playing in uh, fall apart and we were had a desire to get into a more stable um, industry. And so over many years, we ultimately settled on the fuel business and uh, that's where you know, I cut my teeth in the industry. Um, well, it was in that process. Sure. Okay. So, so as you kind of get into that uh, on the fuel side, so from a, like a merchant's perspective, because I, we're going to talk about ISOs and agents and all that in a minute, but from a merchant's perspective, what's the elevator pitch for gas pos? Like why should it, why should a fuel station use your system? What's the value prop? Oh, absolutely. Um, so a lot of the systems the stores use uh, are based off of decade-old uh, technology. Um, a lot of people may be familiar with the Ruby, mm -hmm. uh, which Verifone uh, manufactured, and we'll find them on the counters with serial numbers and, and manufacture dates dating back uh, to the early 90s. And so when you deal with new old technology, it very much limits the innovation uh, you can do. And so our... Um, kind of pitch to the merchants and our, our value prop is uh, embrace you know modern uh, cloud enabled uh, technology you know you should be able to see your reports change your pricing all from you know anywhere on, on the planet that you may be and, and not be shackled uh, to your back office computer or, or to the store and, and give them you know uh, tools that are available in, in lots of industries you know from kind of the modern wave of point of sale systems you know with square and clover and, and things like that, um, you know, kind of bring that into our space, which has been horribly uh, bogged down um, because it's very, very complex. And then on the second level is an economic change. Um, 
we call it the security carousel where every few years, you know, we come back and they end of life one product and then sell another. And that's not that bad if it's a $200 car terminal, but when it's a $20,000 thing, that's really expensive. Um, It's really problematic. Uh, So we've embraced a uh, platform as a service model or a SaaS model to where we provide the equipment, uh, no upfront costs to the, uh, to the retailers. And we uh, install it. We train them. We give them a lifetime warranty. And then um, we, much like all of the other payment facilitators, we tie that back uh, to both their processing agreement. And then we charge a very reasonable monthly fee for you know, software updates and sure. support and the whole nine yards. Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, I love that. So, and that's one of the reasons I wanted to get you on the podcast because it is such a unique model where, well, I shouldn't say that it's not unique in any other vertical, but you guys are unique as far as with fuel stations, because um, you're using that model of kind of, Hey, here's the, here's the really expensive, you know, the big barrier to selling it. It's like, Hey, we're just going to give that to you for free in exchange for, you know, we're going to make our money over the long term as we develop the relationship. Right. Absolutely. I like to say that we all win together. Um, and if we're not doing a good job, they, you know, they don't have to use us and that we're vested in their success because the more successful we are, ultimately, the more revenue we generate. Now, one thing I, I wasn't planning on asking, but I just all of a sudden kind of thought of it. So talk a little bit about pay at the pump. I mean, I'm sure that, you know, obviously that makes a huge difference. So like your system is set up basically to work with what, like what's already there at the pump, or I'm assuming with like pin pad injection, there's, you got to like swap stuff out. So if it's a fuel station that already has pay at the pump, how would they go about using your system? And would there still be kind of that free technology up front? And then, you know, that same model. Uh, Absolutely. Um, Visa calls what's happening on the forecourt or uh, where the dispenser, the pumps are, uh, is the biggest change in the 60-year existence uh, of the payment systems. Mm-hmm. And with the current ecosystem, uh, we can connect uh, any card reader that may be um, in a gas pump. Um, and then we also are working with the gas pump manufacturers to be able to do level three EMB certifications or make their, their uh, OEM products at chips, and we're also uh, developing and getting ready to deploy uh, universal upgrade kits uh, for the dispensers um, that can, uh, you know, we manufacture in-house. Uh, one of the big problems that the fuel retailers have, uh, our gas stations have, is that depending on how old their pumps are, the current the manufacturers of the dispensers may not provide an upgrade kit for them, and they're asking them to buy brand new gas pumps. Well, a gas pump costs between fifteen and twenty thousand dollars, right. and so the average retailer, you know, has four of them. Plus, they have to get them installed. They've got to shut their store down for a day. Uh, so it's a huge ask. You know, talking about a hundred thousand dollars or more. And when the average store uh, only makes two cents a gallon off of fuel. You know, it takes years and years to recoup um, that investment, and it's roughly $6 billion uh, will be spent in the industry over the next three years. And, to accept. and Josh, just to, just to back up a little bit, because I'm, I'm realizing we didn't quite specify this. So when we're talking about upgrade and all that stuff. 
what we're talking about here is the the EMV, right? And so, you know, as as everybody in the industry knows, you know, there was already this deadline for most business types where they had to technically they were supposed to take chip cards. If they didn't, they were having to bear the brunt of some of the fraud and some of the issues that would come in through there. But what happened was because of the expense and everything for fuel stations to upgrade, that date was pushed further back. And I don't I don't know the date. I don't know if you know it, Josh. But can you talk a little bit about you know? So that I mean that's coming up though pretty soon, right? Twenty twenty, I believe, right? Uh, yes, ma'am. Yeah. So basically what we're talking about with upgrade kits is if, I, if I've got a small fuel station with, you know, five pumps, let's say, correct me if I'm wrong here, Josh, but basically by 2020, I have to be able to take a chip card at the pump if I have pay at the pump. And what you're saying is, I think you're saying some of these pumps are so old that they literally just, there's no way for them to do that with the existing kind of technology that exists with replacing it in, internally. They're just, they're not able to do that and they need another solution. Is that what you're saying? That's correct. The um, the pump manufacturers uh, have set kind of a hard uh, year in um, certain models of pumps that they'll allow to be upgraded, right. and it has to do with the uh, the computer and you know, the boards that are in the dispensers. And sure. so we've developed a, a universal kit that can upgrade any dispenser, uh, any vintage or model uh, that may be there, so that um, the retailers don't have to bear that expense. And we also are offering that as a service as well. Um, one of the things with EMV that people oftentimes don't think about are the life, I guess the shelf life of the kernels themselves or the operating systems uh, inside the devices. And uh, some of the our competitors are selling devices that are PCI 3.x certified, and those have a shelf life. Uh, you know, they're going to expire in April of 2020. Um, mm. And kind of the funny thing about uh, EMV Co. and kernel management is they say, hey, if you go buy um, a whole bunch of these right now, then when they expire, uh, you don't have to worry about it because you already have them. It's like saying, hey, uh, I know the iPhone 10's <laughs> coming out, so I'm going to buy a whole bunch of iPhone 7s, that way, you know, I can keep using it when they stop selling them. Right, <laughs> no one would right. ever do that. Like, right. in a normal situation, it makes no sense. Right. But um, right. The, it, for some reason, um, that uh, pe- uh, people are pr- proposing that uh, to the merchants. and. Sure. Um, there's a lot of info out there, I guess. Now, can you, and I don't know if you're, you know, how much you'd be willing to share. Obviously, a lot of this stuff is still confidential and you're working through development and things like that. But as far as this universal upgrade, I mean, can you give any more information about it? I mean, what, you know, is this something that's externally on the pump? Is it something that's internal? Like, what, what, what is it? Uh, absolutely. Uh, we'll have two flavors. Um, one is a uh, pedestal um, where you can have one device control multiple dispensers. Um, it's great for people uh, have you know FBOs or uh, small private airports, marinas, um, you know, mm. stores sure. that maybe have mechanical or old style dispensers. They won't doing pay at the pump. Uh, we also market it to uh, travel plazas and truck stops um, where there's no pay at the pump on their diesel island or where they. 18 wheelers fill up today and then we'll also kind of have a a real nice looking traditional one that would go in a traditional uh where the you know where we're on the traditional forecourt or the passenger island um, that fits in the pumps and uh kind of blends in so it feels natural got it okay awesome all right so the next thing i want to talk about here is cash discounting so obviously a really hot topic in the industry um the Visa Visa just you know put a bulletin out basically saying 
you know, the way cash discounting is being done across the industry wasn't compliant, except for fuel stations. <laughs> so, um, you know, really interesting time for that. So talk a little bit about cash discounting. I know that you guys have incorporated that pretty heavily into your technology and into your, your model. So give us a little bit of an insight of how you've done that. Absolutely. Um, I, I could talk for hours about this, but the uh, so fuel has always had cash discounting. There are right. academic articles that go back to uh, the early 1980s. 80s, um, right. About Absolutely. And uh, you can use the 18-wheeler side of the industry as a great um, you know, example for this. Um, they're the most prevalent places people will see cash discounting is when you're driving down the highway and you see you know, one of the national truck stop chains. They'll always have a cash price and a credit price uh, right. for their diesel products. And what's really interesting is – there are specialty cards for 18-wheeler drivers, you know, that are similar to Visa and MasterCard, but, you know, they're specialty over-the-road fleet cards, and they actually mandate in their terms and conditions that if you accept those payments, you have to market uh, to their uh, customers at your lowest advertised price. And so um, it's kind of an interesting mm -hmm. take uh, from a, a card network on, you know, to mm -hmm. the idea of passing along a cash or a credit price. And I, I believe that retailers should absolutely um, embrace cash credit pricing. Um, no one ever talks about the hidden price of cash. Uh, I have a, a very good friend of mine that owns a blockchain startup and they are trying to remove change from the ecosystem by converting it in real time uh, to a token and cryptocurrency. And then ultimately that value is stored in an account and then you can access it once um, it's reached a certain threshold. And the reason that they say it's valuable for the retailers is that there's about an 8% carry cost with cash. But the retailers don't perceive that because no one sends them a 10 page long itemized bill mm -hmm. with you know, right. 30 different interchange levels. Right. And this kind of spells out how expensive cash actually is. Right. All the time but they spend to go deposit it and, and accept it and store it and everything else. Or even just counting the drawer down, you know, mm -hmm, like right. have, if you've, everyone's ever worked as a, re a cashier knows, you know, counting a thousand pennies is really hard. <laughs> it takes right, forever. Right. And um, so we believe, though, that by accepting, um, you know, electronic payments, you know, obviously you it's net actually more uh, less expensive. Uh, you're going to get your funds faster um, and all kinds of. Uh, different things you don't it's safer you don't have to worry about someone robbing you as you're going to the bank right. and things like that and uh but the other thing we do uh for cash credit discounting is we try uh to very much be very compliant uh with visa and mastercard's rules and there's also for fuel there are uh different government laws around the right. weights and measures right. departments you know you have to market an item at its actual true price right um and so we do that at the dispensers. Um, if they have two price displays, we'll put the cash price and the credit price. If they have just one, we just put the credit price and then we roll the price back. Um, and then uh, even more so than that, we support multiple pricing tiers for any one given product. Uh, we have one customer that sells regular fuel, or just 87 octane at six different price points, uh, depending on if it's uh, self-consumed fuel internally, if it is on contract with certain people they have. And, and sure. so these type of discounts are, are very, very common and we do it. And then on the other side, um, we, we offer cash credit discounting uh, 
inside the store, um, you can do it by the department. You can do it by individual line items or individual items you sell. Um, you know, with cigarettes, as a for instance, uh, in certain states, you can't market it below a threshold. Mm-hmm. And if you sell it, you know, for below right. that price, it's actually illegal. Right. So we we allow them to be able to turn off the tobacco department. Um, and by doing that, the you know the retailers can offset their uh, merchant co- uh, you know the processing fees. And on the other side, you know, they can, uh, you know, then give that discount back to the um, back to the consumer. And gas stations pay a fortune in credit card fees. Oh yeah. Uh, I'm going to see a gentleman tomorrow, and he pays two million dollars a year uh, to process his payments. <laughs> and isn't it true, Josh, that a lot of these fuel stations have a cash and credit price on the fuel, but that they don't actually implement the cash discount inside the store on their products on the shelf, right? Uh, that's absolutely correct. So basically, like a big opportunity, if I'm hearing you right, is you know you're helping them implement the, this cash discount, which they're already really used to this model anyway. It's not like they're opposed to this model; they're they're already implementing it. And you're saying, hey, look, if you implement this in your store, you can save another X amount per year on your processing cost. Absolutely right. And uh, uh, you're absolutely correct. I was talking to one of my agents uh, this morning, and uh, we had this exact conversation. I said, hey find the retailers that are doing cash credit pricing at the pump in your market today and then go target them because they're already open to the idea and they're used to right sure yeah okay so all right so let's talk a little bit more about uh agents and isos and and things like that um you know, first of all, I mean, is that something you're really looking for right now in a big way? I mean, talk about, you know, we have a lot of listeners that are, you know, they have a team of four or five, six, ten agents, and maybe they haven't hit fuel stations in a long time. It hasn't, you know, been as hot lately, but now we're coming into this EMV deadline and things like that. So it, are those partnerships you're interested in right now of looking for, you know, top agents and ISOs that want to sell your tech? Uh, absolutely are. Um, you know, we are a Silicon Valley backed, uh, high growth startup. Uh, we've got to grow, grow, grow. Um, and so we're absolutely uh, looking for partners, uh, to help us out. And, uh, we believe that this is a great opportunity, um, for, uh, the, the agents and the ISOs, um, in the industry. And we have a program in place, uh, for our partners, um, one of the great things that we do is we're amazing at online growth marketing, and we have probably a thousand leads in, in our database today. Um, and we want to send those out to uh, people in geographical areas. Uh, we want to work with them or with you know, with the agents and help them and, and train them. And this is not a simple business, though. Uh, it's right. wildly complex. Um, mm-hmm. There's the fuel dispensers. There's the technology. There are multiple. You know, kind of vendors in play. You know, James, you talked about uh, encrypting the pin pads. Right. You know, there's a lot that goes into this, right. but uh, our job is to be there and to be the experts and to kind of and to help. And uh, but no, we're absolutely open to um, those type of relationships and sure. uh, are happy to have those conversations. Yeah, and I'll never forget. I mean, I remember the first time I sold a fuel station, Josh. They had. Um, I guess you would just say two pumps, you know, it was like, uh, you know, one, one set of pumps on each side or whatever, but you know, four, four places you can pull up. Um, and you know, a little place, uh, you know, and I sold them, I think at, you know, 40 basis points and eight cents or something like that. And, um, you know, I got my first residual and it was like 160 bucks or something. And I was like, wait a second, what? And, you know, you look at it and you're like, wow, even this little, you know, fuel station, I mean, man, they do a ton of volume and they pay a lot of fees. And so, I mean, talk a little bit about that. I mean, this, you know, now with with the, you know, advent of cash discounting and kind of helping them with the cash credit pricing, I mean, this is a fairly profitable model. Am I, am I right? 
Uh, it, it absolutely is. Um, the average gas station uh, will make two or three times um, the, the revenue that a, a traditional uh, small business owner uh, might generate. Uh, one of the problems in the industry, or one of the complexities, I should say, it, it's a good thing that competition has driven down prices. You know, the market's working, right. but uh, you know, whether it's WorldPay or Heartland Global, um, you know, First Data and their um, different alliances and partnerships, they are actively participating in this market. And so um, if you only are selling payment processing, it's very easy to run into a situation where someone is at you know, three and a half cents or less per transaction. When you get into the national space, it could be a penny or less. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's very critical that you have a value add uh, to that because if you're saying, hey, you're paying two and a half cents, but I can do it at two and a quarter, you know, a quarter of a penny isn't Gonna really move <laughs> Not the gonna make a difference, yeah. Right, sure. But, uh, but when we can apply it with um, brand new technology and all these different things, you know, we can change that conversation. And we always say, you know, if you're going to pay merchant fees, which are their second highest expense a gas station has behind their labor, mm-hmm. you should at least get something for it. Right. And um, you know, we can create a. Uh, a product and, and a pricing model that makes sense. Uh, from, we have customers that might do $20,000 a month uh, in electronic transactions up to customers that do fifty or $60,000 a day. Um, and so we can right. m- put something together for all of them. Sure. And I mean, I think one of the big kind of barriers that you guys have overcome, and it's been fun, kind of, we've been connected for a while, so it's been fun kind of following your your story and your path along the way here. But, you know, I mean, one thing that is unique about your model, I think in our industry, a lot of people are familiar with, you know, the free terminal model where you're making it mm-hmm. back on margin. But, you know, imagine a free terminal program where the average cost of the terminal was $10,000. Wow. And, you know, and you understand what Josh and, and his team <laughs> have put together here. I mean, right, Josh? I mean, this is, you know, the, the reason I'm saying that is, you know, for ISOs and agents, that are looking at this, I mean, th- this is a totally different business. This is not like you're going to compare this to a normal credit card processing program. This is totally different. You guys are investing literally thousands and thousands of dollars to get an account, and then the margins are a little different, and the 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 implementation process is different. So it's it's not the kind of thing you know. It's not like it's not like targeting hair salons instead of nail salons. It's like it's like a different business. It, it you know there's a, some parallels I would imagine with prospecting and selling, but I mean you know this is like you know this is a pretty this is a pretty significant project to take on to decide you want to, you know, uh, capitalize on this opportunity, right? It absolutely is. Um, just the labor um, to install the systems can run a couple grand. Right. Um, mm-hmm. If we screw something up, it can be even more. <laughs> we, don't, we don't do that. It costs you way too much. Right. Yeah, you but... can't afford to make mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Uh... And, uh, but no, we're happy to do it. Um, my family, uh, on the other side, my, my mother's family um, owned uh restaurants and small grocery stores uh and even some uh, gas stations you know in uh the deep south and this is something that uh what's happening i kind of feel a personal connection to and it's wrong that every time the pci council or the card brands make a change that these guys have to come out of pocket ten fifteen thousand dollars and so that's why we want uh to change this and uh it's an amazing opportunity i mean um when pay at the pump was first invented, uh, you know, it was the fortune 10 that was you know, footing the bill. Uh, today 
the major oil companies own less than 1% of the stores, and 70% of gas stations are owned by a single uh, owner-operator. And mm-hmm. so not wow. only does it make it very easy to get to the decision-maker, but it, you know, it's the small business owners like all of us. Um, and, and it's very much the buy local and sure. you know, support your local economy, um, you know, message that, yeah. uh, you know, that we believe in. And, you know, James, that's always been your mantra. As oh, well. absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I tell you what, so we're, we're running out of time. I, I definitely want to get to, you know, some contact information of, you know, where they can go. But before I do that, one thing I always like to ask uh, in these interviews, if somebody is actually, you know, still actively involved with selling merchants of any kind, which I know you are, and obviously managing the business and the team is the, the bulk of your time, but I know you're still dealing with merchants and you have dealt with many, many and built a big profitable book. So can you give one tip uh, something that you think ISOs and agents, no matter you know, they're selling merchants. What's one kind of sales tip or prospecting or just some kind of strategy tip that you could give them that you think has contributed to your success? Uh, it's sell value. Um, you know, when you commoditize you know, your pricing, you commoditize yourself, uh, and you're easily replaceable. But when you provide value, um, you're bringing something to the table that yeah. they're either not getting from their current uh, provider or um, you know, that you can give them something more. And uh, that could be whether that's reporting or it's, you know, just service or picking the phone up even, you know, right. <laughs> like just being attentive, like anything you can do to provide value to a relationship uh, is critical to success, um, especially um, in, in an industry like ours that has largely become commoditized. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Okay. So great tip. Uh, let's now talk about, and I'm sure you're going to get, uh, I would imagine quite a few people are going to reach out to you because a lot, I think really think I've, as I've talked to people in the industry, Patty, I don't know about you, but mm-hmm. people aren't talking about fuel as much. No, they're not. And and so I think a lot of people are going to hear this interview and be like, oh yeah, that's right. You know, I fuel stations of, are, it's coming up 2020. Like, Yeah. And I think a lot of people are scared off and this seems like it's a way to sort of a assuage those concerns right right or at least deal with them so right so josh where do we send people that want to get more information um about you know as a reseller where would we send people absolutely uh, i may regret doing this but uh, my personal cell phone is uh, 205-948-7523 um you can call me uh anytime um you know, the stores are open 24-7, and we're open for business 24-7 as well. Um, you can also uh, reach us on our website. It is gaspods.co, um, and you can also call our 800 number, which is 866-7-GASPAWS or 866-742-7767. Nice. And when he says uh, gas pause, that's gas, P-O-S, dot C-O is is the website if you want to check that out. Josh, thank you so much for taking time and for being an innovator in the industry. It's always exciting uh, talking with you and, and seeing the growth that you guys are experiencing. And uh, hopefully you'll get a lot of people reaching out and uh, kind of dominate this fuel market because I know it's, uh, it's a big opportunity over the next year. So thanks for taking the time to share that with us today. Yeah, thanks a bunch uh, and uh, keep up the innovation. Uh, yes, ma'am, absolutely will. Thank you all so much for your time. It was a pleasure. Hey, same here. Bye-bye. Thanks, this is the Insider's Report with Patty Murphy, brought to you by Greensheet.com, a premier resource for the electronic payments industry. The Greensheet has been on the beat since 1983, always focused on boosting the feet on the street in our evolving sphere. The stock markets have been going through some wild gyrations, but there's plenty of optimism over the direction of consumer spending. And that's good news for merchants and their payment services providers.
A report compiled by the ETA and the Straw Hacker Group revealed a 6.9% increase in U.S. consumer spending during the second quarter of 2018, compared to the same period in 2017. Now, the ETA, for those who are new to the industry, is a leading trade association for ISOs, acquirers, device manufacturers, and their partners. The U.S. spending snapshot compiled by the two organizations analyzes spending trends at 3.7 million U.S. merchants with over $1 trillion in annualized sales. The report came on the heels of forecasts by the National Retail Federation, which is the largest merchant trade group, suggesting 2018 was poised to be a banner year for merchants. NRF said it expects retail sales to increase a minimum of 4.5% over 2017 totals. Retail sales rose by 4.8% in the first half of 2018, NRF said, driven by higher wages, gains in disposable income, and a strong job market. While the trade war and the specter of rising tariffs on imports from China raises concerns, NRF's chief economist said he remains optimistic, and he suggested gross domestic product for 2018 could approach 3%. Now, GDP is one of the best indicators of economic growth, and to put the NRF's projections into perspective, Consider that in 2008 and 2009, GDP was in the negative range, 0.1% and um, uh, minus 0.1% and minus 2.5%, and that it hasn't risen above 2.9% since the Great Recession. In 2016, U.S. GDP was 1.6%. In 2017, it was 2.2%. So 3% would be pretty significant. 3% GDP is huge. It's huge, <coughs> yeah. yeah. Now, the NRS retail sales number exclude sales of automobiles, uh, sales at gas stations, and at restaurants. But the ETA's numbers provide some insights on those businesses. As I mentioned a moment ago, overall consumer spending was up 6.9% in the second quarter of last year, compared to 4.4% in 2017, according to ETA. The biggest gains were in gas station sales. On a year-over-year basis, spending at gas stations grew 17.8% during the second quarter. Wow. That's huge. But I've also, if I remember correctly, that's when gas prices were up a little bit. Oh, that's true. There's a pretty, that's true. There's a lot of variation there and fluctuation in gas prices. In gas prices. Remember, like, sure. right around um, Memorial Day, how it always right. goes up, right? right and right. that's part of the second quarter. But that's probably why they exclude that business type from the overall I sus- number. I suspect yeah. so as well, yeah. yeah. Um, Overall, retail spending was up 5.7% in Q2 uh, compared to a year earlier. Uh, Other merchant categories that charted significant same-store sales growth included general merchandise, hotels, building supply, restaurants, and groceries, Uh, whereas same-store sales growth uh, at electronic stores was flat. Hmm, Interesting. Yeah, that doesn't actually surprise me. I would think electronic stores, a lot of their stuff's going online. Exactly. People are using Best Buy more as a showroom to figure out what they want to buy on Amazon. And then go back home and buy it, right? <laughs> yeah. Sales growth was strong in all regions of the country, with the Rocky Mountain states registering the largest gains during Q2 at 8.8%, followed by southwestern states at 7.88%, and at 6.24%, same store sales in the far west actually registered the lowest gains. The ETA said it intends to publish these spending snapshots on a quarterly basis 
And then the next report is going to be issued uh, sometime early this year. Uh, and I hope to be able to discuss some of those updated snapshots sure. you know, in the future. Now, I wanted to leave you with some preliminary data on year-end holiday shopping trends, which could be an indicator of how things will go this year. Retailers kicked off the season with strong sales numbers. Retailers, both online and brick and mortar combined, rang up well over $30 billion in sales over the long Thanksgiving weekend, Mm. which is the unofficial start of the holiday shopping season. Online sales alone totaled $17.82 billion that weekend, which includes $7.9 billion spent on Cyber Monday, according to Adobe Analytics, which tracks online sales trends. And total spending at independent retailers and restaurants on what has become known as Small Business Saturday was $17.8 billion, and that's both online and in-person. That rivaled online sales for the whole weekend, according to data compiled by American Express and the National Federation of Independent Businesses. The NRF reports that 165 million Americans hit the malls, Main Street, and online stores over the long holiday weekend, and they spent on average $313 each on gifts and other holiday items. NRF projected consumer spending would increase by as much as 4.8% over 2017 year-end holiday spending to total more than $720 billion. Did I read that right that you said here that the spending for the you know kind of Black Friday Cyber Monday stuff was thirty billion and of that seventeen point eight two billion was online. Yes. So online sales over, over outstripped brick and mortar. Really? Yes. Wow, that's a that's a really big mile because I don't think that was the case last year. No, it wasn't. In fact, this was probably the first year and because I, I I keep tabs on that stuff. Yeah. I, I watch it really closely. Right. And so I every day I was going on over the weekend to see, you know, what was yesterday's Right, where was it? And and when I started adding up the numbers, I was blown away. Yeah. And then a couple days later I read a report that said, Oh yeah, for the first time they've actually outstripped. Uh, outstripped. Wow. That's really you know, that's really interesting. I think it's very interesting. Mm. But I think a lot of it is what we said what we've said before too. A lot of people will go into Best Buy or mm-hmm. into Walmart or, or right. whatever. You know, I right. I'm like that. I, I'm big in the, you know, going I go into Best Buy, I try out new headphones, I try right. out new speakers. Yeah. And then I go. Yeah. And I was really interested. I just bought this new um laptop slash tablet right. and I bought it I did a lot of research online. Right. And then I went into Best Buy because I wanted to actually feel, feel it, it and see what, see, it was, what it, right. see what it was like. The guy comes up and he says, you know, can I help you? And I'm like, oh, I don't know. I mean, you know, right. I'm just kind of looking at it. And he's like, well, are you going to buy one? I'm like, yeah, but I might buy it online. He says, we can match whatever price you right. find online. I'm like, really? He's like, yeah. So let's go over and look. And he pulls up everything right. on his register. And he's like, okay. You know, this computer here is sure. $769. Amazon has it for $759, so we'll give it to you for $759. Yeah. Well, shoot. I mean, that's a Why great not? way to compete. Yeah, and they don't have any shipping costs, and you're able to get it right away get and walk right, out with walk it. Walk out with it, you know. Yeah. And, and I think I think more and more stores have to do that to compete. I think they do. I think the other thing that really drove sales, too, well, I think two big things, you know, it seems like as far as online. Number one, I feel like, you know, in my own experience shopping, I feel like a lot of the stores are not carrying all of the stuff anymore exactly. because they don't have to have that carry cost. Right. Because they could just tell people, oh, you know what? We that's a, You're right. That coat looks great on you. You need to order it online to get your size or whatever. Right. You know? 
Um, but I think the other thing too, and it's funny, every year I have this very informal thing of I like to watch how my wife shops. Uh huh. My wife is not um, the tech person, mm-hmm. right? And so, you know, sh- this is somebody who literally, you know, two or three years ago was saying things like, I can't, you know, I would never shop online. Like, what, you know, as far mm-hmm. as not, not, you know, like Christmas shopping, like I do Black Friday, you know what I mean? Right, sure. And instead of that, um, you know, we just had a conversation, I think it was yesterday actually. Uh, or two days ago where she's like, you know, I still have some Christmas shopping left to do. She said, you know, what if maybe one evening you come home and let's just make our list and then we could probably get almost all of it on Amazon or online. <laughs> and I'm like, wow, uh, really? So yeah. she's starting to come around, I feel like, to that. Yeah, and know. I think you're going to see more and more of that. I mean, it's also a convenience factor. I mean, I got to tell you, for me, more than once, you know, uh, Thanksgiving night, I'm done, I'm, I'm, fat, I'm feeling fat and happy. I can just go online and do some exactly. shopping. Exactly. Why inconvenience yourself? Right. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Hmm. Okay. Awesome. Wow, really good stuff. Very interesting stats, I think. Yeah, I thought so too. Thanks a bunch. This is Questions from the Field, brought to you by InstantQuoteTool.com. With over 30 training courses covering everything from sales objections to statement analysis, ISOs are using our learning management system to help new agents understand the industry and how to sell merchant services. Industry veterans love our courses because we dive deeper into concepts such as interchange and explore new industry trends like cash discounting, NFC, and the resurgence of American Express with the OptiBlue program. Put all of these training courses together with the leading proposal creation tool for merchant services agents in the field, and we believe our branded ISO solution and individual user package is a must-have. Visit instantquotetool.com today or email support at instantquotetool.com to learn more. Well, it is after January 1st, Patty, and I know on everybody's mind right now is goal setting for the new year. Oh, yes. Uh, Salespeople in particular are notorious goal setters, Mm -hmm. also notorious goal breakers, (laughs) (laughs) right? Uh, I always get a kick out of, uh, you know, obviously we're recording this a little bit before the first. Um, but I always get a kick out of, you know, the first day when I go to the gym. Uh, so I go to the gym three times a week. Uh-huh. Uh, and, you know, sometimes I might skip a day and go twice a week. But, you know, I go very, very consistently, have for over a year uh, with the trainer there and everything. And, you know, there's like five or six cars in the parking lot. Right, right. After the first of the year. It's jammed. Oh, my word. I park like, you know, two blocks away. And it's, uh, it is shocking how quick uh-huh. the traffic dissipates. It's unbelievable. I mean, literally within a week or two. It's not right. even like a month. I know. It's like within like five or six days, I go back and I'm like, we're back down to, we went, you know, we go from seven cars to like 60. And then it's like the next time I come, we're at 20. And the next time I come, we're back to seven. I mean, it's literally like, what in the world? Wouldn't you love to be the be the gym owner, though? Well, yeah, that's what they all do. Those, they, all right? those people sign up for their membership and they sure. lock them in for a year. And then, uh-huh. you know, and so, which is, I love it because their money always pays for better equipment for me to use all year. That's right. <laughs> well, my challenge to you today as a sales professional is don't be that person. Right. Um, a couple of the big pitfalls for you to remember uh, or to avoid, rather, you know, number one, and again, I've, I've made this statement, I'm sure, many times already on the podcast, but I just will say it again. I love it. Tony Robbins always says people dramatically overestimate what they can accomplish in one year 
and they always dramatically underestimate what they can accomplish in 10 years. Mm -hmm. And so don't make that mistake. Don't look at your next year and say, you know, this is the year I'm going to go from, you know, last year I made $30,000. This year I'm going to make a million dollars. No, you're not. <laughs> Unless you win the lottery, you're not. Okay. Right. You might make 60000 You might, you know what I mean? You might be really lucky and be able to double your business. Uh, right. Yeah. That'd be amazing. That'd be great. Because if you double it every year for 10 years, whoa, look out. Nice. Right. So here's the thing. All right. Don't get, you know, over arrogant or cocky about that. Number two, <clears throat> don't make goals based on results. This is the most common pitfall. Salespeople love to make result based goals. Result-based goals have a couple of really big problems with them. The biggest one is that those results are not entirely within your control. Mm -hmm. um, markets change, you know, things happen. And so, you know, as you set these goals, set effort-based goals. So your goal for 2019, in other words, shouldn't be, I'm going to make 20 sales a month. Uh, you know, I'm going to sell 20 merchants a month. Your goal should be, I'm going to walk into 20 businesses a day. Mm. Right. I'm mm -hmm. going to make X number of contacts a week. Um, mm -hmm. I'm going to make certain number of calls, you know, effort, effort. So think about these goals that you can track um, and that you can make sure that are 100 percent within your control. Last thing I want to tell you is when you're setting these goals, if you really want to set goals that are going to enable you to make a lot more money. Um, there's something that I actually got uh, from uh, a couple different trainers that I was listening to this last year and just different business people. And, you know, it was really interesting talking about people who are good at sales but don't really make a lot of money. You know, there's really only two things about, you know, making money. You have to have something you can sell that's, that's profitable enough mm -hmm. and then you have to sell it at volume. Right. That's the only two variables. You got to sell a lot of something that makes you a lot. Right. And then you make a lot. <laughs> Pretty, Pretty simple, yeah. right? But I would really challenge you to think about that. And so kind of going back, you know, uh, I, the first thing I said was don't get overconfident. Well, a good exercise, though, to do is to start out being a little overconfident and then work backwards. So, for instance, if I told you that this next year you had to triple your income that you made the previous year, okay? You had to. There was no choice. You had to do that. What would that look like? How would you do that? Would you start selling maybe a little bit higher margins and maybe adding value in other ways? Would mm -hmm. you sell maybe a technology? Would you learn some new skill? Um, you know, would you add merchant funding? You know, what would you, how would you do this? Mm -hmm. Then take that and break that down to effort. What effort would you have to exert to accomplish that? And then make that your goal. Make those your goals. So that moving forward, you know, it's effort-based goals, but make sure you're selling things that are, you know, some of you literally, all you sell all day long is merchant accounts where you make $15, $20 a month. Right. Well, it takes a lot of those to make any money. Mm -hmm. So maybe if you're selling something more profitable, something that's going to bring in a little bit more revenue, like we talked to, you know, Josh Smith earlier. Um, and, you know, that's something where you're making a lot of money on fuel stations. And, you know, maybe not that, but that's kind of the idea of find something where you're going to make some serious money and then sell a lot of it. Right. Or maybe you can sell, you know, you have online marketing, you can sell 50 merchants a month making, you know, $25 a merchant. Well, that's mm -hmm. great. You know, mm -hmm. that that makes sense. But you got to make sure you have those two variables of something that's making you enough money and you're selling enough of it to make the amount that you want to make. Yeah. So that's 2019. Set some realistic goals and then try something really unique this year. Are you ready? Actually achieve your goals. Make them realistic. Yep. My name is James Shepard. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to the Merchant Sales Podcast. Whether you are an industry veteran, processing executive, or just trying to learn about the payment space, we appreciate your time. The Merchant Sales Podcast is a joint production from greensheet.com and ccsalespro.com. We hope you will tune in next week for more information and tips on building your merchant services business.